Welcome to Level Up with Sherelle and Danny. We're here to help you take your health, fitness, and mindset to the next level. It's time to level up. Hello, and welcome to today's episode of Level Up with Sherelle and Danny. Today, we are talking about why women shouldn't train just like men. Yeah, so we have a great episode today. I'm really excited to get into some of these dot points because surprisingly, we actually haven't spoken about some of these things. Like we will go over some, uh, I guess, uh, previous content that we might have explored with like Dr. Stacey Sims and some other specialists in the area. But we're really excited to be able to dive into this. And I personally only work with female clients. And I know, Danny, you work with both men and women. Mm. So I'm also excited to hear your perspective because I feel like I've never trained a male. Oh, you've never? <laughs> no. What about Luke? You've got Luke in the Oh, gym. does he count? He does <laughs> TWS with me. <laughs> Bless. Good on him. Yeah, it's, it's interesting. And I'm surprised we haven't actually done this, but here we are. Um, yeah. It's exciting. And, of course, everything is context dependent. Mm. Um, but, yeah, I'm really excited to get into the differences. As you said, you training primarily like only with women and then I train with males as well as women. Mm. So, yeah similarities but then also big differences because at the end of the day we can't change our physiology and hormones as women and they're the factors that really make um, a difference when it comes to training and how we respond to different types of training yeah and something we won't have time to go into today but even over the lifespan do you know what I mean? Like how yes. you respond like pre-puberty as a teenager our age and then obviously you know post-pregnancy menopause like hormones, structures, lifestyle, like all of these things are of course going to have an impact on uh, your training and your performance because at the end of the day, probably, well, I'm definitely not, you're not, we're not paid here to be athletes. Do you know what I mean? We have <laughs> lifestyles as well to be able to uphold as much as that'd be nice. Yeah. Um, but I guess one of the things I just wanted to open up with is like doing some research for this podcast. I came across a study and it explained, it was like a study um, studying participants and sample groups for a lot of the sports science research. And mm. so it so alarming to uh, discover that like only, women only represent 6% of the sample size in sports science research. Now, yep. I remember like when I was working in healthcare, it was like a big omission statement for the hospital that I worked at because I, I worked at a like a women's hospital um, and like it was obviously, you know, about, you know, empowering women and it was the same in health research. Like a lot of the research done in healthcare, so drugs and everything um, is mostly done on men. So there was like mm. a big shift in healthcare a while ago to try and shift that. Uh, but it's no surprise to me that obviously the fitness industry is still just like lagging a little bit behind. Of course, of course. And um, even most research, even nutrition as well. I was looking up some studies for our next episode just to drop um, that little hint. Um, it was like most research has been conducted on males or animals. And it's like, oh. <laughs> Okay. Oh, no, no, no. My favorite daddy is the the oh the limitations or the considerations. And it's like due to the complexity of female physiology, they have yep. been excluded. And you're like, yep. you can't just exclude a gender that's 51% of the population. Yep, yep. It's very alarming. And even with certain tests for illnesses and things, I went on a on a tangent yesterday, but um, and I'm going on a tangent now, but like there's no actual proper screening test for for diseases such as ovarian cancer. I found that I out see. yesterday despite 300,000 Australians um, having it every year, there's still no proper screening test. And yeah, and, and you'd know, being in women's health and working in the hospitals, it's, it's very alarming. So yeah. we need to be con- 
conducting studies on women, we need to be putting more effort into tests because it's just Mm. such a big loophole that can't be brushed under the rug. Absolutely. And the only way that's going to happen is literally by us having these conversations by, Mm. you know, more women getting into health and fitness, uh, sport, Olympics, like all of these sorts of things where they're trying to look at, okay, well, what's the best recovery and training protocols for, you know, the women's volleyball team? Like they have Mm. to look at it, you know, AFL, like it's these like changes in society that's being like, oh, okay, we can't just have it as a limitation that women aren't excluded. Like, one day it should be like, oh, women aren't included in this research. It's not valid. You can't generalize it to the population because they're not in the sample size. But, you know, we just really wanted to highlight that. And then I guess we should highlight who this episode is going to be helpful for as well, because, you know, um, even like in the fitness industry, like one of the, I guess, most obvious ones is this may not be applicable to anyone that's enhanced. Like Mm -hmm. if you're on anabolic steroids and that's another conversation because it's very, very common and prevalent, it's going to knock out like a lot of these hormonal uh, benefits or disadvantages. Oh, for sure. Your recovery will be a a lot quicker, Um, enhanced muscle mass, enhanced performance. You know, that's the whole idea of anabolic steroids and not even in bodybuilding, but in most sports as well. Mm. People are enhanced in one way or the other. Um, And that can definitely uh, alter your studies and results and, and it mixes things up. So we've chosen to exclude that because that's a whole nother topic. And then until later, we won't be talking about any women who are postmenopausal as well because there's so many different factors we'll kind of talk about the average joe maybe 30 to 40 years old or or around that um, before any large hormonal changes just to keep it even because there's so many variables yeah absolutely well we'll get right into it so the first point one of six that we're going to go over um, is that women can generally hand more training volume um, Mm. in comparison to men and this is really important in comparison like not to it, like in comparison, we've always got to, got to, I guess, compare it to something else. So when we're comparing it, we're saying if they can handle more frequency, more volume, um, whatever it might be, it's always going to be in comparison to the opposite sex. Uh, but yep. when I say more training volume, this is something that Danny, obviously we've spoken about a lot. We're talking to, we're talking about the accumulation of sets and reps across a week, i.e. how much work is going to yes. be done in one session. Uh, at the moment, a lot of the research, and we've already discussed, the limitations of a lot of the research but Mm -hmm. um the current research recommends 10 to 30 sets per week uh per muscle group to grow that um as a stimulus now when we look at 10 to 30 sets it's such a wide scope right like there's a massive difference between 10 and 30 if you're doing if you're doing quads right? Like 10 sets of quads to 30 sets of quads you would Mm. hope that there would be like a pretty significant difference so This is where it's about taking your understanding of the physiology and tying it to the current research and also your own subjective views and experience and making up your own uh, like approaches to it. Now, one of of the primary reasons why women can train, um, can handle more training volume, and this will bleed over into the other dot points that we make as well, is because of um, the fact that women have more type one muscle fibers. So it actually comes down to a lot of the physiological um, stuff in our body or our, our genetic makeup. Now, these type one fibers, a lot of you guys that are, you know, um, in the fitness industry yourselves or physios or whatever you might be, you're going to know that type one is like a slow twitch, meaning that they have more benefits when it comes to endurance. 
Mm-hmm. And it very much comes down to the old hunter-gatherer days, you know, mm. the males were traditionally out there fighting the lions or whatever, and, well, not really fighting lions, but, you know, hunting running from food, the lions, running from lions <laughs> yes, um, and, and hunting food. So they'd have to have that muscle mass, they'd have to sprint, throw spears and things. And generally speaking, um, the women would have to look after the kids and they might wander a long way to find water and things like that. So it all goes back to those days, but the the makeup of different muscle fibers, yes, mm-hmm. makes such a difference. Um, and in terms of the number of sets and reps as well, I mean, I think a large variable is how experienced you are in the gym there's no way a beginner would be able to do 30 sets of an exercise Mm. so they might be on the lower scale Mm. or to throw another spanner in the works if you do have a beginner that aren't really pushing as hard maybe they would need more sets so it really depends on your training intensity your experience in the gym how well you're actually executing the exercise and things like that as well um so yeah, use your own, um, just have a think on your scenario or your client scenario. Would mm. you need 10 or would you need 30 as well? Very broad, but yeah, yeah that's, that's what the research says. Again, I feel like the research will be tainted because there are so many variables, but that's why we're here to elaborate on why and why you shouldn't really take it so seriously and mm. says, oh, it's 20, 10 to 30. Like there's so many lifestyle variables, which we'll continue to elaborate on. Yeah, absolutely. I listened to um, Eric Holmes and Greg Knuckles podcast. I think it's Stronger by Science. I think that's their podcast. And, you know, they're, they're like, uh, Eric is like natural bodybuilders and they release the mass uh, research paper so every month as well. And they talk a lot about, they dissect a lot of research on their podcast and, and talk about like a lot of the sports science bodybuilding hypertrophy studies mm. uh, as well. And because like Eric is a bodybuilder, um he's got skin in the game so like he can talk and be like oh well the sample size is like untrained population like it's it's Mm. irrelevant they they hadn't touched a weight of course they're going to put on 10 you know kilos of muscle in the study so it's really important when you listen to it you're like oh yeah but it's important to be like who's who's like the phd guy in the lab making these studies as well Mm. do you Mm -hmm. know what i mean like do they have skin in the game sometimes Mm -hmm. resistance training is a spin bike in studies and i'm blown away by that i'm like how is that resistance training that is cardio yeah but to who and i think as well you made a point Danny like we should be when we're saying women can handle more training volume we should be comparing like women of the same experience as well because a Mm. beginner is always regardless of sex going to be able to handle more training volume because they don't have the intensity so we spoke about that in great detail in our intensity um, episode where we spoke about the pendulum between Mm. volume and intensity as well Um, something as well that, you know, really influences a lot of these variables that we're going to be chatting more about is the female hormone estrogen. Now this is the primary sex hormone and everyone knows estrogen. It usually gets actually demonized on the internet. Um, estrogen dominance, it it gets a horrible name, but you know, it's actually one of our superpowers, uh, Mm. as we go through these dot points, because estrogen is not anabolic. It's anti-catabolic. Now catabolic, I like to think of this, right? Anabolic apple in a tree catabolic carrot in the ground right so oh, great. interesting you know, that's how i remembered it in biology oh, <laughs> so up, i haven't up, heard that one up and down i made it up myself <laughs> oh, <that laughs> if anyone else good. wants to use that for their biology please do um but carrot in the ground Perfect. yeah catabolic so breaking down <laughs> right so 
estrogen is not anabolic, it's anti-catabolic. So they mm. actually show, I was reading um, a good book a while ago and they were comparing dieting phases from men and women. They actually show that women barely lose any muscle mass in dieting phases because of our high levels of estrogen because estrogen is anti-catabolic. So it preserves muscle tissue um, and it's like a superpower. And the other thing is with the volume, it allows us to have endurance. Like along with these type one muscle fibers, it's also the hormone that allows us to really be able to make the most and go and go and go. Yeah, brilliant. So again, it is demonized on the internet, but as women, we do need estrogen and we have so many other hormones as well um, that are often not learnt about or spoken about that probably play more of a significant role. Um, So yeah, let's stop demonizing estrogen. As you said, it actually is our superpower, which is amazing. Yeah. Um, and that leads us into the next point being women can train with greater frequency. So more often um, women not only recover faster after a set, but they recover faster after a training session. So often, and, and going back to the, the old bro science bodybuilding split, guys would train legs once a week and need the whole week to recover or, you know, chest once a week and need the whole week to re- recover. And stereotypically women would train legs three days a week. Again, Now that we're moving forward with knowledge and education, that's definitely changing. I mean, if you're a sporting athlete, you wouldn't just train once a week. Mm. Um, A lot of people, men do train, you know, legs two, three times a week, but I still think there is a big difference between how many times women train the same body part within a week. Yeah, absolutely. You also see it go the wrong way. Like when we say more training volume, more frequency, I've definitely purchased some programs of well-respected coaches Mm, market research yeah just have a look around and i'm like cool four sets of 15 reps for freaking eight exercises like what are they thinking here like and you know i know there's a lot of people out there like 50 sets for glutes for a week i'm like that's going to annihilate it like how is that the 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 volume that you think that every female should be doing just because you know we can handle it um doesn't mean that it doesn't have to be balanced with you know uh intensity and when i said 10, 10 to 30 sets one volume is pretty uh specific to a person so you know what one person can recover from is going to be different but maybe women can sit more towards the 20 to 30 you know the 25 to 30 and maybe men would benefit more from the 10 to 20 like very generalized and of course you're going to have outliers you're going to have people that can do both it's going to be lots of other variables but it's about not extremes you know it's not the extreme side of one or the other and I think that's really important to be able to understand because we're not saying like go out yeah you can handle it train legs four or five days a week flog yourself Mm -hmm. like we're not we're definitely not saying that um and this is where also I think um like anecdotal and subjective uh yep evidence is just so underlooked like i'm sick of people on the internet going show me the research it's like cool i account for six percent like sit down and shut up there's no research half the time exactly so we're all we're like everyone's making like cool if women have you know more uh slow twitch muscle fibers um and estrogen gives us more endurance we come to the assumption you know, that we can handle more volume, maybe we recover quicker, maybe we can have more frequency, right? Like it's mm-hmm. it's just the assumption of it. Do we have the research at the moment? I'm sure there's some, there's definitely is for the estrogen case. It's quite nuanced, you yeah. know, and even when we look at the menstrual cycle, which we'll go over too, we can make generalized assumptions that probably should be right based off mm-hmm. our physiology, right? Based off characteristics, based off other performance, based off our own uh, subjective assessment too. Oh yeah. And, and 
the differences that I've known between training my male clients and my females, the females are more likely to overtrain. They're the ones doing it. Like males are so easy. I love it. Like they, you give them what they need to do. They do the work. They hardly need checking in. They don't get emotional about stuff. Like it's a whole different experience, you know, time to place for both. Um, It's nice to be there for a woman through whatever they're going through in their life and all that. But it's also nice to say, hey, here's the work. And then they just do it. Mm. Um, Again, there is crossover between the two. I'm talking sort of generally, but I have found my female clients are more likely to come as an overtrainer or find Mm -hmm. it hard to pull back than the males. Or maybe um the males yeah they they just don't seem to have that overtraining mentality i know it is out there but it's mm. just not as prevalent and that yeah. that's a personal anecdote i haven't looked at a study on it but there is a reason why there is the female athlete triad you know yeah. um and what we spoke about with stacy sims so yeah that's what i've noticed mm. do you have experience with women and overtraining and oh, i know you do but what's your take on that as well Absolutely. Like every time I sit down with like a new client that's going to come into the women's health movement, they're always doing a lot. Yeah. It's it's really hard because I have to say to people right at the start, like if you're going to come in, I need you to trust (laughs) that you're not going to add more, that you're going to reduce, that we're going to, we're going to probably take away a training day or reduce your training volume. And usually one Mm. of these is like, what am I going to do? I'm like, live a life, like have some time off, recover, you know, that's so important. So yeah, Yeah. I I really do find, and what we spoke about is like volume has to come down. But like I said, it's usually well outside of the parameters that we've even spoken about. Like Mm. I said, like if I looked at a program, I'm like, there's 40 sets of hamstrings and you know 50 sets of glutes and you know it's it's like counterproductive you're you're beyond the point of probably actually making progress and you're just accumulating junk volume um generating more fatigue and you know that's what's going to put you in an overtrained state it's just doing a lot a lot a lot of unaffective work so yeah that's going to burn you out and by the time you reach your last exercise on the program, it's going to be very it's poorly shit. executed. The There's no intensity. You're ready to go home. Like, oh my God, I've done so many sets. Yep. So you do, yep. you're right. A lot of people do prescribe four to five sets. If you're in a strength mm. block, great. That's needed. But for hypertrophy, for sporting performance, mm, not really necessary for so many sets and reps, particularly Absolutely. for beginners. Maybe. Yeah. For an athlete who needs to, you know, perform in that manner. But if you're sort of giving a program to the general population, you definitely wouldn't do that. But yep. I feel like most people wouldn't be able to actually perform for really, really hard top sets. They might use the first one or two as like a warm up and then do another two that's quite heavy and then move on. Yeah. Yep. See, I, I think about it a little bit differently. I like to keep my working weight the same for all three or four sets, whatever's prescribed. So I'll yeah. always build up to that. And then say, if you're adding more as you go throughout your sets, like you need to question that. You need to probably start heavier the following week and then do a couple of warm-up sets. So, you know, there, there is that. And that can be a good reason as to why people end up with these crazy amounts of volume um, because they're just accumulating and, and counting a lot of additional volume that's actually not contributing to muscle growth. Like your warm-up sets don't contribute to muscle growth. Only working sets will contribute to hypertrophy, but it's still volume and it's still accounted mm. to fatigue right? Mm. Still accounting towards fatigue. Intensity is usually not going to be the thing that's going to put you in an overtrained state. But if you put that combined with volume, that's when you go up shit creek. And because it's easier to do more instead of making that more, more productive, 
that's usually what happens. People go, I had another day, I had more sets, I had more exercises and there's add, add, add rather than auditing the quality of the work they're actually doing. Yeah. So that's what I meant. Sorry. With if a coach prescribes five sets to their client for whatever reason, chances are their client's not going to use those five sets as working sets because it's just too much Mm. because whatever number of sets is written down should be the working sets. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So they should really say maybe three plus a warm up type thing. Yeah. And this is a good um, little tip for any coaches as well. Like something that we do is we ask um, our girls, like how long roughly their session takes. And that's a good gauge to be like, if someone's taking 30 minutes for, you know, a program that's got, you know, 18 working sets, you probably know that they're not 18 working sets. Uh, you can, and you probably need to have a conversation about like, you know, what's your warm up look like at the moment? Like, are you sticking to your rest periods? Like doing that. Um, because even with training with Shirelle, I noticed that like some of the girls getting through the workouts in ridiculously quick times and having questions about that. I'm like, no, 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 no. Like <laughs> I'll be here for an hour, 10 at least. Like, you, uh, you know, it. you've really got to be able to audit that. So that's a really good thing from an online capacity to be able to help your clients, like really start paying attention to intensity and volume. Um, yeah, that's good. Cause a lot of clients are too scared to bring up time with their coach because mm. they think oh, I've been given this, um, but it might be a bit long for them. It might be short. And that's a really good point, actually, mm. Sherelle, because a lot of people don't talk about the timing of a session and how long it takes. But mm. technically, it, it shouldn't really, well, you and I will never really give a half an hour workout unless... I don't know, it might be if I give a rehab thing and they're sort of at the start of their rehab journey. Yeah. But when it comes to performance and all of that, you need time for warm-up, activation, whatever, movement pattern work. You need your warm-up sets um, before you get into your working sets and, and there. So good point to bring up. If, if you're a little bit unsure with the timing of your session, just talk to your coach about it. Yeah. 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 Absolutely. And that's also a good point, Danny. If someone's like two and a half hours, you're like, what are you too doing? Long. Too what long are you doing? Well. Yeah. yeah. Get uh, off Instagram. Stop get talking off. to someone. Stop trying to pick up at the <laughs> gym. <you know? laughs> so true. Um, but I guess summarizing that whole endurance fatiguing side, the last point of that is women generally don't need as much rest between yep. sets. Now, this is obviously going to be because of those type one muscle fibers um, being slow twitch. Uh, obviously the recoverability um, enhancement that we get from having estrogen on our side. Um, And then also subjectively, like I noticed this a lot with you, Jane, because we followed the same training program for probably nearly 12 months. And, um, you know, things like hack squats, hip thrusts, like I'd be ready to go like 90 seconds to two minutes. Uh, Usually I'd be recovered, which to him was like a partial recovery and he wouldn't be able to uh, sustain the intensity, whereas I could. And that was very evident. Props I'm to trying me. not to laugh at you, G. Maybe come me. have a session with Paul. No, yeah, yeah, come on, Sorry, I just had to. <laughs> <laughs> the other thing, though, and you might notice this too, Danny, I feel this is just myself. I don't know if this Here is true go. or not, but <laughs> Here we go. Well, I feel like I feel like my glutes are more um slow twitch than other muscle fibers. So for example, my quads, I fatigue quite quickly with quad work. But then if you get me on a back extension, I swear to God, I can do 50 to 100 reps with a good weight. Like I swear to God, I can go hard when it comes Mm -hmm. to something like a back extension, like a hip thrust, crazy. I have crazy endurance on something like that. But you add another 20 each side and I might tap out at five reps, you know, and that's just the subjective Mm -hmm. um, like thing that I noticed that when I'm doing something with more of a moderate to a light weight, like I can go and go and go. And then even maybe like a 10% increase in the load that might actually just 
just stop me and I don't have like the capacity to really generate the explosiveness or the power that might be required. And this is something that like you and I were talking about because I would be able to put five plates on, right, on a hip thrust per side and get like 10 reps, right? But then if we added a little bit more, I could barely get one or two. And I'm like, it's what's going on? A little on? bit more on what? Sorry. So if you added five plates on the hip thrust, you could get more. But then what was the other one? The same exercise or different? Same exercise. Okay. Then as soon as I'd go up more, I might tap out at a couple of reps. And I just wouldn't have the initial drive to be able to generate much more. And yeah. I also noticed with like a, uh, a back extension, um, I just feel like, like there was one time I was joking with him and I'm like, I could get 50 reps at this weight. Like it was a weight that I was using for maybe 20 to 30 reps. But I was like, and it was a heavy weight. Like I was like, I don't feel safe enough going any heavier on a back extension than like 40 or 50 kilos, like holding mm, the plate. Mm. I'm like, I just don't think it's necessary. You know, when you're sort of like, oh, I don't know. And yeah, I yeah. did, I did 50 reps. And I was like, I just feel like my glutes in comparison to some other muscle groups, they have a lot more slow twitch. And I don't know yeah. if crazy. Well, A, there was some sort of element of competition in that. So if you had said a thousand reps, you would have got a thousand reps oh, and just killed yourself, <laughs> but not told anyone. Um, but then I suppose to compare quads to glutes, like you do, and I notice more, a different sensation when training quads, more lactic acid buildup. Yes, and disgusting. That burn, like on the leg extension, I've never really felt that in any other muscle group personally. Mm-hmm. Um, again, I haven't really delved into the science recently on what types of muscles are in. I would imagine that quads and glutes wouldn't be too different though, because we do need them for running and sprinting yeah. and all of that. Um, again, it also depends on our own body composition you're very quad genetics too well you're glute dominant now as well but like quads when you were younger um (laughs) and then also experience with certain movement patterns i know a lot of girls and and just in our gym like i can i can out hip thrust or out glute drive a lot of the guys even though they're fucking strong me too it's because we practice that position Mm. so strength is positional and i'm knocking over the microphone in excitement because i love the glute drive (laughs) (laughs) it's just all happening um strength is positional so a strong hip thrust won't necessarily carry over into a strong squat Mm. or strong deadlift so that could be another element as well yeah for sure for sure yeah worth exploring a little bit yeah i do feel like you know how they say oh there's such and such muscle groups are like you know 30 percent slow twitch and blah 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 like i feel like that's going to be different person to person like Mm -hmm. you're never going to know unless you do a freaking muscle biopsy or cut someone open you're never going to know your muscle fiber type Uh, there's also research that you can convert it right like the style of training that you generally practice you're going to be able to convert this types of muscle fibers but we probably intuitively do this. Like what exercises uh, do I respond better to with higher rep ranges? Like a leg extension, right? Like you're always going to go higher rep range. You're never going to go like a five rep max on mm. a leg extension. So there's this like uh, skin in the game mentality when it comes to training, writing programs, exercise selection. And like, you know, Danny, sometimes you'll write, a, uh, you'll write a program and then on paper it'll look great, but then you'll do it and you'll be like, nah, I need to like swap that around. That exactly. feels better together. You're always going to have that uh, uh, that piece of it too yeah little fun fact which you might already know but it's so interesting when you know when if you're eating a chicken um sorry to any vegetarians but chicken breast is white and then the thigh yeah. is, is different and that's the different fast twitch so you've got fast twitch in the legs so it's a little bit more red mm-hmm. um and and different 
um, texture and then in the breast or the wings it's it's white so slow twitch so there you yeah. go cut <laughs> my glutes open cut them open and gnaw on them no, cut, no. <laughs> cut them open oh god but yeah i guess summarizing that like yeah, generally that. that one that i guess the key theme that we've spoken about so far is, is that women can usually handle a little bit more whether that's volume or frequency um or just getting back into the work quicker i.e a little bit less rest uh periods these are going to be small um, right in, in comparison, but they mm. still are definitely there. And I think, um, yeah, like it's, it's going to be relative to someone of your training experience as well. Like yeah. I said, Eugene, probably we're probably relatively like, he's definitely more advanced than me, but in terms of strength um, and skill and everything. So it was easier to see that between us following the same program for 12 months, right? Are you going to be able to see this straight off the bat with, you know, your boyfriend or whatever? No, you're not really going to be able to notice those differences there. Um, but yeah, that, summarizes because of the estrogen and the muscle fiber type yeah i wasn't sure what it was about the boyfriend thing but yeah that makes sense you mean at the start of a program or yeah like if you're like a different experience to a male you know if you're if you're because there's more variables you mean so many more variables yes yes like like i'm saying because eugene and i had pretty similar variables training at the same time of the day similar training experience same program like there was a lot of similar variables but he just took a bit of extra rest because he's a pussy i love the competition between you guys it's <laughs> i just can't stop <laughs> what? like down. it's funny that's good good keep fighting sure. oh, that's great <laughs> uh, but i guess moving out of the resistance training um stuff now we're going to chat a little bit about um cardio right and this is something that i feel like is getting a little bit more airtime at the moment in terms of like yeah. aerobic training conditioning cardio like you know screw f45 actually maybe we need more of it like i feel like this sort of stuff starting to come back in. oh we need awesome. more of it is that coming well, not F45 specifically, but conditioning I feel like in that's general. the F45 owners just yeah, trying probably, to bring that probably. out. <laughs> Marketing, you know what I mean. Um, <laughs> or functional training, whatever you want to call it, right? Um, but in regards to the different types of cardio and probably should have referenced the other episode that we did we did a whole episode talking about um different types of cardio whether that was hit training low intensity moderate intensity yeah. uh there is some research out there to support that the female physiology um is well adapted to endurance training obviously mm. the things that we've spoken about and therefore we may not respond as well long term <laughs> to high intensity interval training yeah. uh, there's and you mentioned it earlier like if you look at it from an evolutionary standpoint like men were, are supposed to like high spurts of energy cortisol mm. adrenaline like mm. you know resistance component in there and really like tax themselves from an intensity explosive powerful standpoint um whereas what did we do do you know what i mean like what's our physiology well adapted for and again this can go both ways because i'm not saying that oh women should just get on the treadmill for an hour and that's their form of cardio definitely yeah. not saying that i think the devil is always in the dose when mm. it comes to a lot of these things and i personally always steer on the side of caution when it comes to high intensity interval training uh, not only from a recoverability and an interfer- interference standpoint, um, but also an injury prevention standpoint, right? Like the pros have to outweigh the cons and sometimes yeah. they will, you know, and, and I think hit training has a time and a place um, or high intense training of any, any form. I definitely think it has a time and a place, but I just think, you know, as females, if, if we've got different variables and, you know, we respond differently to cortisol, we just need to be mindful of how much we're including. Whereas, maybe perhaps a male they can get away with a lot more 
Yeah, awesome, awesome. And again, we're sort of generally speaking because there is so much overlap um, from a bodybuilding point of view or from a personal experience for me, I would only use HIIT training right at the end mm. of my um, comp prep just as because my body did respond well to it. But as you mentioned earlier, um, recovery is so important. So you couldn't yeah. be doing HIIT training from day one for a bodybuilding show. Now for an athlete, you know, when I would play tennis, HIIT training was part of my weekly training with my coach. And we'd always be sprinting up and down the court. Um, You know, any kind of sport really involves sprinting. So you must also train that, but in a progressive manner. You Mm -hmm. can't just be sprinting all day, every day with the same intensity, making it harder and harder and harder. You need to increase, then decrease and and peak for the actual sporting match, perhaps on the weekend. Mm. Um, But then also really account for your nutrition and recovery as well. So there definitely definitely is a time and a place for HIIT training. Athletes will be using it more, but if we're going back to sort of comp prep or bodybuilding mm. or just general population, it's not ideal to always be using HIIT training. As you mentioned, because of the high cortisol levels, higher chances of injury, and then you kind of uh, neglect your recovery as well. Yeah, absolutely. Recovery is the main point in this. Like, mm. you know, you always need to keep the main thing, the main thing. And that's something I tell myself in every area of life. Keep the main thing, the main thing. Yeah. You know, the main thing is hypertrophy. Like make sure it's not overtaking your resistance training or impacting it. You know, that interference um, effect that they often talk about when it comes to cardio and resistance training. Um, I have a little bit of a different, I guess, uh, spin on the way I include HIIT training mm. because I definitely do, respond well to it short term and this is the fact right short term like you can have spouts of it and you'll be fine but you drag it on you do f45 the whole life you do these sorts of things you're probably not at the end of the day um, going to benefit you know you're going to adapt and then what and that's the whole point of the said principle you know we need to be able to move on from adaptation and progress Mm. but i'm actually going to include um, more higher intensity stuff at the start of my prep when calories are high recoverability is good sleep's good i'm not fatigued you know i can handle the volume and then take it out you know and and move more Mm. into steady state whilst when body fat gets lower, as I get leaner, when my injury risk goes up, like these are the ways we need to start thinking about things as strategy, not just I'm going to throw in some hit. That's what usually happens. Yeah, no. Out of desperation, normally people do it too. Have you always done hit at the start or have you tried... Obviously, you've gone from being a a midwife, excuse me, a midwife to them working at a desk. So that would have been a big variable. But when would you normally put your hit? I never done it. I've never done hit. Never done cardio. Yeah. Okay. Never cool. done cardio. So new variable. Um, mm. but in saying that, like when uh I was a lot younger and I was new to the gym, like as a uni student, I definitely used to uh, like dabble oh, in yeah. the hip style training. Of course. Um but yeah, things are different, right? You just can't compare and contrast when there's so many different variables. Yeah, yeah. And um yeah, so heat training would work for people, but also steady state. We both definitely agree that steady state is probably better on the body for a long-term game plan. Yep. It might work short-term in short spurts, but definitely steady state cardio, whether you're going out for a walk at sort of a moderate pace or on the treadmill, on the cross trainer, probably better off for a female. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, cardio has so many stress management benefits too, in terms of yeah. like hit training does not, I just don't, it's not like it's stressful as hell, right? Some it depends training. if you count boxing as a hit training. 
just punching, punching it out. It's so good. <laughs> Physical. <laughs> Let Physically it out. getting out there. Let it out. You know, I don't know. It's hard to know like what the definition of true hit is, right? Like it's hard yeah. to know what you, what you really define it as. But I think if people want to start including some cardio work, the first place that I always start with clients is just including like some zone two cardio or moderate intensity. Like I rarely yeah. ever prescribe low intensity um, stuff anymore. It's usually going to be moderate intensity, like getting a little bit of a sweat on just because it's a stimulus that not many of us have like we have a lot of low intensity in our life we can go for a walk you know that sort of stuff I don't really yeah. prescribe that um, but zone two cardio you know your heart rate sort of that 60 percent to 70 percent and we spoke about that in the previous cardio episode that yeah. I mentioned earlier that's a great place to start just a couple of times a week to build up some fitness before you dabble and explore in high intensity just so you've got a foundation you yes. know and you're not going from zero to 500 and jacking yes. your blood pressure up and then really feeling the effects of cortisol yeah yeah you you often see people that do that like I don't know when I used to catch the train into work and people would be late for the train and and you know that they just didn't run but then the poor things they finally got on the train they were puffed out for like an hour and it's like oh but yeah I think everyone does need just for instances like that Mm. you just need and obviously there's more health benefits but mainly for when you're catching a train no kidding um just yeah ease into it you don't want to go from zero to 100 as you said so um zone two moderate intensity before you dabble in the hit training very important the last point i want to make about hit training as well is um your exercise selection is really important for hit like really important because of injury prevention and you know muscle soreness and everything so you're always going to want to bias movements that um don't really have a concentric sorry an eccentric component you really want concentric based movements like a sled push like an air bike um like a rower like these sort of movements that you're not going to be really really sore from like if you do five million jump squats you're probably going to be like really sore the next day um so that's something to keep in mind as well as like it's not just about like rocking up and doing all of these weird movements and like push-ups to complete failure and like all these things that are going to actually interfere with the main thing um you want to be treating hit and cardio with the respect that you do normal programming yeah yeah 100 percent agree obviously sporting athletes are different because yeah. they need jump squats they need all of that but sure. if we're talking about people in the gym with hypertrophy strength whatever body composition goals yeah and and you've just had a squat day i definitely wouldn't um prescribe jump squats to be mm. the hit you'd go on a machine but yeah. then also the choice of machine is important too um and talking from like an injury point of view i wouldn't put someone with a disc herniation on a spin bike hunched mm. over that might aggravate it or even sometimes the stepper because oh, by the time, the you stepper. know 10 minutes goes mm. and then you're leaning on the thing and i used to cheat on the stepper like i'd, yeah. I'd push myself up with my hands and it's like put yeah. them on a machine that's relevant to their goals yeah what about would you would you ever give it to someone with a air bike standing like you know how you stand on them oh you know I, how you stand on them and you're like if that's the only machine in the gym sometimes I'm a bit biased and want to prescribe based on what I like I yeah. don't enjoy the air bike so I, I love I would <laughs> you love the air bike I would offer that as an option but probably give more yeah options. but if that's the only machine stand yeah. up much better for yeah sure. 
Because I often find as well, a lot of people go to sprints and I'm big biased of that, of like knowing how complex running is and like that it's not something you can just go oh, no, out and give 110%. Yeah. I just only think, to athletes. Honestly. Only to athletes. Or it's like if someone's like already doing a little bit of running and they've got like the muscular development um, there, like all, all those little muscles are, are equipped around the pelvis to be able to handle it. Because I feel yeah. like some people are just like, oh, I'll just do sprints then. And it's like, no, like we shouldn't just be like defaulting to running as, yeah. you know, anything for high intensity. And we're both guilty of that. Our teenage selves were definitely runners, as we oh, know. And as sure. you know, well, you did you did a marathon or something, didn't you? I did a half marathon. Oh, half. Yeah. That's still amazing. That's, yeah, <laughs> awesome. So we've definitely done that. But I remember every time I'd go for a run the next day, because I'd go from like never running to I'm angry as a teenager, I'm going to go run. Um, yeah. And then you just pull up sorts. Yeah, like- it's not helpful. <laughs> not helpful. Damn it. Oh. Let's move on. Hey, yeah, we've been on that one a while. Um, <laughs> and I guess the next one, which we've spoken about so many times, is uh, obviously considerations around the menstrual cycle. So mm. this is very generalized. It's very hard to give specific recommendations due to factors like you know contraception and training experience and everything else we've spoken about as well. There will be a blueprint and there will be a general theme based on hormones uh, changes that are normal, like in terms of what you would expect in relation to like estrogen, progesterone, like during your week that you're actually um like bleeding you got like there's going to be general recommendations but Mm. it's something that as females we have to almost take on as responsibility to like be like what do i need around my menstrual cycle like what works for me do i need to approach my mesocycles um differently do i need to have a deload um and the other thing i think is important is like reproductive diseases like endo and pcos and you know um cramping and all of these sorts of things are actually quite prevalent so i feel like it's a fair point to say that if that's something that's common um or something that you've got because it is common sorry um then yeah of course you're probably going to have to have some considerations because i definitely have clients that you know uh balance like endometriosis and they have like Mm. painful bleeds and like i just have the week off do you know what i mean like have the week off trading this no it's it's fine Mm. and we can like when you know that on repeat Um, you can actually work with that. Like it's Mm -hmm. not a negative thing because if anything, it's a negative thing to be pushing your body to train hard when all it's wanting is just recovery time. Yeah, absolutely. And that's so good. And I think a lot of people are more aware of this now and more kinder to themselves, particularly when they are bleeding. It's not an excuse to expect symptoms. And sometimes you can go down that path of saying, oh, I'm about to get my period. And you kind of bring that to light, even though it might not be true. I used to do that and be like, oh, now nah, my period's coming, blah, 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 and use it as an excuse. But um, but yeah, so there's, there's a fine line between the two. But what I've found as well with a lot of clients that I get, um, SIJ pain is more prevalent mm. when bleeding. Um, our ligaments are more lax, particularly so SIJ where your hip bones meet that little sacrum bone, the triangle bone at the back of you um, in your hip region. So the ligaments become more lax and then you are prone to more movement within that joint. Uh, So when you are bleeding, if you are experiencing a little bit of back pain or pain in, in the back of one hip, um, just stick to bilateral movements. So two legs at a time. Yep. We won't really want to be doing any lunges, single leg, leg press, single leg work around that time if you are experiencing pain. So yeah, just be mindful of that. And then sort of the next week, it will sort of ease back to normal and you can start to incorporate that again. But yeah, that's a massive thing that people don't really know. 
Um, yeah. But just another little thing to consider when we are bleeding or around that yeah. time. Do you know if that's because of estrogen or um, relaxin or do you know why that might occur, the, the mechanism? Mm, I'm pretty sure it's estrogen related. Yeah. Um, but relaxin is a byproduct. Like relaxin is released around that time anyway. Yeah, could so be. I'd because both. I know, um, I know, for example, like during um, ovulation, for example, mm. when estrogen fluctuations um, happen a lot and it's going to be different as well from um, – like female to female but yeah estrogen fluctuations can impact the stiffness of tendons um and that's why they see like a greater injury rate um in sports in explosive sports in in particular when it comes to um is it like acl like acl is the most common yeah yeah acl is very common for sure like so in your knee for people that yeah um um and definitely sij is just so common but it's weird for me some like i'm ovulating right now and it's a great time but then i'm also like noticing the bloating and the cramping yeah for sure I do. it doesn't always happen mm. every month normally around bleeding i get back pain referral yeah um, so that's another one everyone so if you are bleeding and do have back pain it could be a direct referral from the uterus or mm. it could be due to the principles that we spoke about before inability to brace as hard when you are feeling a bit bloated and you're bleeding therefore more likely to cause yourself a bit of pain in the gym um, or could be a referral as well. But yeah, no, definitely um, during ovulation and bleeding, it's an interesting time what we go through. Absolutely. Um, Even the relaxant hormone that you were talking about, um, that's that's released a lot during pregnancy as well. And its role is to relax all the muscles around the pelvis for obvious reasons. You're going to have to fit a head out of it. it Um, And that's why like, you know, if you're I get messages all the time and by no means like it's not my area of specialty in terms of like exercise with pregnancy. You should work with a coach that knows your specific situations, yeah. get clearance by your obgyne, work with your midwife. I don't know if you have high risk of anything. So it's like irrelevant, but yeah. it's also about, you know, because of this relaxing hormone, it's why unilateral exercises might feel more uncomfortable and why you should be trying to pick more stable um, exercises in general, like more exactly. machines, like you said, bilateral movements, Yep. Um, because there's just more mobility and movement at the pelvis for obvious reasons, not good nor bad, just is. Um, and it's just something to be aware of. The Particularly thing- under load, sorry, just before sure. we jump onto that other thing, it's more under load. Now, we're not here mm. to say to everyone, oh, it's bad to do this movement or it's bad, but context dependent to the sure. gym. Like if you're at home and you lunge to pick something up, that's fine. But if you're yeah. holding heavy dumbbells, you've got a bar on your back and you're stretching everything out under load, that's where the issue occurs. Not just at home when you're moving yeah for sure like please take a step on each foot um yeah the other thing that i wanted to mention as well and this is funny but have you ever had the period pain where it's just like a sharp knife like you've sat on something it's like <gasps> it doesn't sound funny but no i haven't had it it's you know funny. with the stabbing the stabbing touch oh my god all have the you? ladies listening to this please someone clarify that they know what i'm talking about but god. yeah so there's different types of period pain that we can get right we can get that dull ache that's like that's what heavy, i get yeah you can get that heaviness in the stomach mm. it feels like you know you, you're bloated it's just like yeah. a dull sort of like i know you're there and you yeah. just want to like put a heat pack on it and rub it you know yes. you just <laughs> that's how you know. feel. It's okay. or you can get the these other ones um like the stabbing sort of sharp pains that literally i feel like it's like someone shoved a knife up you <laughs> oh, <laughs> oh like up yeah, yeah like, oh, it shit. makes you go on your toes it makes you go on your toes do you get that yeah, and it's quite common. Every month. Very common. 
yeah, like when I'm bleeding. So what happens from that? It's um, it's due to prostaglandins. And this is another hormone that gets released to help the endometrial lining shed, break away. Mm-hmm. Its role is to break away. Um, this is the same hormone for anyone that's had a baby that's been induced that they put inside you to gel. Mm-hmm. And they, it you should see the hand later. actions that are going on here. Sorry, guys. guys. <laughs> <laughs> wow, so graphic. I love it. But when you know, like, because I remember, um, again, when I came off contraception and I started menstruating for the first time in like Mm. years and years and years, you know, you get all these different pains and aches and things that you'd never had happen before. You're like, what's this movement? Things are waking up. Um, And I just noticed for myself, because I do, maybe I am someone that releases more prostaglandin and experiences more of these styled of cramps. um, That's usually only for the first day when like blood flow is more heavier. Um, I, if I've got something that's high impact or heavy, or like, I usually just skip it to be honest, because I noticed that it, um, it makes it worse. Like jumping makes it worse. Oh God. Get a bit more. It's not horrible guys. (laughs) It's not horrible. Well, you said stabbing with a knife. Well, it's just like a sharp pain. It's just like a sharp. Yeah. a quick sharp like i'm here yeah okay. is it a contraction or is yeah, it-, it feels like a little a contraction yeah. Yeah. yeah literally anyone um that's like i said being induced because very common to get this gel mm. um put on your cervix to ripen it to make it sort of start contracting and spasming that's what yeah. it really does baby, the hand yeah. gestures the hands kill um, me i hope but this goes on the zoom even <laughs> this <laughs> even this you can hear like myself and danny have different symptoms yeah I, and we may modify our training in different ways because I know, oh, I might just do my upper body sessions at the start of the week because, you know, by day two, three and four, I'll be fine to hit lower body hard and I'll probably perform better. Yeah, for sure, for sure. And um, just being mindful of like, because the pain might not happen immediately when you're training, but just be mindful of bracing. I find that that's the hardest thing for not only myself, but a lot of women to do is just have a solid brace. And that's when the pain the next day can happen. You know, you might rely on your lower back muscles a little bit too much rather than your core and all those internal structures. So if you can't do a heavy, if you can't perform a solid brace, then just change your training to sort of uh, lighter weight, higher reps just for that day or that week. Yeah. It might be also like a bit of mentality. Like I'm the same. If I've got a cup in or something, I don't really want to like put a heavy belt on oh. and just like, it just like some, and this, these psychological. Yeah. <laughs> I've never, <laughs> I've never used a menstrual cup. Oh, the Should best. I be? The best. Yeah. yeah. Game changer. Like, How often always, do you have to change it? Once a day. I just change it at night in the shower. What? Doesn't it fill up? No, not really. I mean, like you're really only ever going to lose like eight to 10 bills, like across your whole, like, you know, a day over heavy bleeds, not really that mm-hmm. much. Um, so nah, definitely not. And it's something I shied away from, from a long, for a long time. I was like, yeah. oh, that shit scares me. Um, but when I actually learned how to put it in properly, yeah. um, you know, how far up they should go, what it should feel like getting good brands there's lots of different brands. Um, what do you use? Cause we're going to be asked. <laughs> I use the, I think it's the TomTom cup. Um, oh, okay. And it's like the Eco one. Um, I find that mm-hmm. one's like thin and you just like roll it up and it's, you know, it's got a nice tip and yeah, like it's really comfortable. I find that more comfortable than tampons. I hate tampons. I'm yeah. so off tampons. Ever since I actually started bleeding properly um, yeah. and having symptoms, I'm like, oh, the last thing yeah. I want to do is put a tampon in. Yeah. Bit TMI as well, but I also feel like with the cups, you can see the color and the consistency of your blood. And that's yep. like something that's sort of important is like, you know, if you're someone that is monitoring flow and 
like the consistency and the color, the texture, like you want to see if you're, you know, distributing a lot of clots and things like that. So that's sort mm. of important. Mm. Um, you can see that, right? You can't see it in like a tampon because it absorbs. Yeah. And in a pad, you obviously can, but you know, that's, I don't like training in pads. Oh, um, that's a, yeah, yeah <laughs> so that's a whole nother. Cups always my preference for the first two days. And then I'm usually good with a liner. I might try a cup like mm. um, with tampons as well. When I was talking to my Chinese medicine doctor a while ago, there's some sort of thing about having a tampon in and then the body reading that as a sign to stop the flow and mm. like it kind of just teaches you to to stop it like because yeah. there's a blockage there it's a physical blockage that sends signals to your body whether mm. this is true or not but I love the alternative thinking of Chinese medicine it kind of disrupts the natural yeah. energy cycle and flow and as soon as yeah. I heard that I'm like makes sense Absolutely. I mean time and a place Absolutely. For, for tampons and things. But, yeah, yeah, it's something to consider. I might get onto those cups. Yeah, it was actually Gabby who was saying to me as well, like it, it, disregarding the cups at all, like letting blood flow from you is really beneficial for that. Well, you just hang reason. out in the shower for or a week. a pad. It's oh, like sorry. I thing. thought you meant without anything. I'm like, <laughs> no, no. we're really going back to the hunter-gatherer days. And, like, look, it's it's a game. We're talking about optimal versus practical, you know? Like yes. we're, like, and I just sort of think, I just think from, like, for me, I'm like, tampons are so wasteful like if I can just have a cup and I can sterilize it like you know good for me good for the environment yeah more comfortable in general like seriously more comfortable in mm. my opinion if you get the right size and put it in properly and experiment with it but um amazing yeah. for all the male coaches How out there that are that? listening sorry male coaches <laughs> um but yeah like I guess we just wanted to skim over the menstrual cycle considerations because it is obviously something we talk about a lot um mm. we've got a lot of content and you know previous episodes too uh we had one way back episode 21 periods and performance uh, I believe we shared a little bit of science but mostly our own experience um in that as well and what we notice mm. um but yeah so make sure you head back over with those episodes too well, I don't think I would have had a period in episode 21, so I'll have to re-listen to that and see what we said. Yeah, yeah. So to, yeah, interesting. <laughs> so that, we might have to make a new one, an yeah. updated version with updated. What, we, what we know now. Um, but I guess like putting the, you know, concluding everything as well, we've got menopause, you know, and obviously this is not something myself or Danny are going through. Uh, a big reason as to why we actually got Stacey Sims on the podcast a yeah. while ago and really wanted to um, like champion menopause in that episode because it isn't something that gets enough airtime and you know I it's obviously normal I feel mm. like and I think Stacey might have mentioned this too like where menopause is now in society um through stigma is where menstrual cycles were like 20 years ago like okay it's just something that people push under the rug they don't want to talk about they don't understand they don't want mm. to understand a mm. lot of women are embarrassed ashamed they don't know what to do you know uh I think it's um like body fat distribution changes characteristics hormones and there's just like a lot of uh mis- understanding and we see advertisement for you know women in their 40s to 50s um lose that lower belly fat or that uh-huh. tricep fat and you know maybe these are normal characteristics of going through menopause and maybe it's just something we should learn to like you know work with instead of against embrace lean into um, recognize it's a part of us growing through a lifespan just like pregnancy is yeah. um, that our body's going to change as we do and we can't always expect to approach training or nutrition or anything for that matter the same way and expect it to work in the same way so mm-hmm. we also wanted to acknowledge that that obviously during menopause um the decline in estrogen levels uh, is paralleled with the 
the slight increase in interest in sorry injure injury what a <laughs> tongue twister go you twister. <laughs> and a decline in lean body mass right so estrogen gets demonized in the fitness industry but it is so helpful because it is anti-catabolic. Yeah. It preserves muscle tissue. Um, it helps with training intensity, performance and recovery and endurance, all these amazing things. And ask any menopausal women, they would love to have their estrogen levels back to normal. Um, but something to be mindful of is obviously because of that decline in estrogen that naturally occurs uh, with menopause, you are going to be at a greater risk of muscle loss probably going to find Mm. it harder to build muscle mass um, than what you would have in your, you know, 20s and early 30s. Um, And then the other thing with that also comes a greater risk of um, osteoporosis, which is the degeneration of bones. And we know this quite evidently, you know, uh, menopausal women are at a higher risk of osteoporosis. And it only reinforces how important it is to get into resistance training early. Like get into yep. it early, build the muscle tissue, build yep. all the mitochondria, build all the things so that later on in life, our bones are strong. And I think muscles get way too much airtime. Like muscles, You're and, right. muscles and um, how we look, like our body composition gets way too much airtime for resistance training. Like I suppose it's because you can't see people's bones. <laughs> <You know? laughs> look how like- stiff my tendons are. <laughs> careful wording choice here and how I was going to word that yeah very well said thanks for sort of taking over that with all the tongue twisters but you're so right and it's not good enough just to drink a glass of milk and say I'm curing osteoporosis like it was such an empowering episode from Dr Stacey Sims and her the words that that stuck out was just lift heavy shit if you're going through menopause or you've just gone through it you can still lift lift heavy Mm. shit. Um, And the reason, you know, our bones do break down Mm. over time. And if we apply strong, hard resistance training, the bones remodel and then grow back stronger, just like breaking down a muscle to Mm. grow back stronger. The same thing happens to your bones as well, which, yeah, you're right. It doesn't get enough airtime. So we really do need to stress the importance of that. So women, you know, you can still train hard. You can still lift like a boss. It it doesn't matter. Um, In fact, it's actually encouraged to continue to lift heavy shit even after menopause. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, we even had, um, when we had Victoria Falker on the podcast, she was talking Mm. about um, the oral contraceptive pill and obviously how that, you know, suppresses natural estrogen um, hormones because estrogen, estradiol, like estrogen that we get through a pill and estrogen that we make in the body are different. Um, And how beneficial estrogen is at a young age to uh, build bone density moving forward for the rest of our life. Like it's, Mm. they're important years for for, uh, our muscle development as a whole. And we don't really get that back right like we don't get that period back with you know especially like puberty like our hormones are crazy right and she was talking about the implications of going on contraception early on and suppressing that natural cycle and Mm. she was correlating that with osteoporosis um in the future in women and you know she was making again just based off her assumptions and um generalizing of like well if this 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 does this then maybe this would contribute to that as well and yeah I guess you uh, you brought that up in me because yeah, drinking a cup of milk is not the answer for. Remember, bone that's what we're advised. Oh, have a cup of milk for calcium, right? Yeah. And 
you know, what good is, um, what good is the nutrients if we're not giving the stimulus? Like we know that from muscle growth, we need to be giving the stimulus. Yeah. And that is why Stacey was saying like, what works for you when you're in your twenties may not work for you in your forties or fifties when it comes to training. One of her recommendations was more explosive movements, you mm. know, generating more power, um, more like power styled lifting lifts. And that obviously goes against what we were saying for those reasons, right? We don't have the estrogen there. Maybe we don't recover as well. Maybe Maybe we need more rest. Maybe we don't have the endurance or the frequency that we um, had when we were younger. So again, there's no research on this because menopause is sort of like still very uh, like, you know, it's still, what's the word, like stereotyped. Oh, as, yeah. But especially no when it comes to training, right? Yeah. Especially when it comes to female athletes, like they're just yeah. not researching that. So we just 100%. wanted to touch on that. We obviously did um, episode 63, um, Women Are Not Small Men with Dr. Stacey Sims, where we elaborated further. Yeah, and 95 with Victoria Falker. Sorry. Yeah, yeah, 95. Um, uh, some of the strongest women that I see down at Pado are, mm. have gone through menopause and they're lift, deadlifting like so much heavier than me and it's so inspiring. It's just mm. like it doesn't mean that life's over after menopause. You can oh, no. lift bloody heavy. Um, yeah. And what I was going to say was so typically for osteoporosis, the, the risks are prevalent in women around their 50s, but men can still get osteoporosis too, but it does happen more from 70s and beyond. Yeah, um, for sure. So it's not as prevalent as early for the, the reasons of differences in hormones, but it can still happen in men, just not as frequently. Yeah, for sure. And look, I don't know the, uh, I guess the the facts on this, but there is hormonal replacement therapy that they do give to women as well, like in their um, menopausal years, if they really need it. Like this is mm. the time where like, it's so fine, you know, to, to make yourself physiologically, like, you know, use different things if you feel like you need to. You know, mm. visit your GP, talk to them. Don't feel like you're victimized. At the end of the day, like these are just considerations, not limitations. It just means that things may have to change, right? Whether you're in your 20s, 30s, 40s or 50s. Things yep. are, of course, going to have to change. Like if I was still doing the style of training that I was doing as a teenager, like I would have stopped progressing because the way we work is we adapt to the stimulus that we're giving our body until we no longer adapt and then we have to change it. Yeah. Yeah. And we get away with lifting a little bit more, you know, outside the textbook when we're younger, our ligaments are more elastic. um, Mm. So you might be able to just fling up a weight rather than by hanging off your ligaments rather than correct positioning and using your muscle mass. But as we age, they get a little bit more rigid um, compared to being a teenager. And then you can't really get away with that as you get older. It's like when you're young and you're jumping off things and flipping around. And now when you're older, it's like, Oh my God, that hurt my knee. Or like, what's going on? Like (laughs) you get away with so much. Don't you get away with so much. I used to definitely like double sessions, go for a run on the weekend, play netball. Like you'd get away with a lot. Yeah. Um, and you just like, I don't know if it's, it's obvious. There's obviously a physical component there too, but I think you just become a little bit more cautious as you get older as well. Well, that too, psychologically. Yeah. live for now you're more aware i'm like that was stupid you know (laughs) you're more aware of it oh the intellectual training glow up i love reflecting (laughs) um but yeah, I think that's I think that's everything. Did you have anything else to add, Dan? You're all good. That's it. Yeah, yeah. We, we aimed for what 40 minutes ish. We've gone over as usual, but yeah, hey, it's usual. a good time. I enjoyed that one. 
Yeah, it's awesome. So today we wanted just to cover training and then next week we will cover some of the nutritional considerations as well. And obviously they go hand in hand, but as we've expressed today, there's a lot in it. There's a lot of considerations. Mm. There's no be all end all. There's no must or must not. There's going to be outliers. Um, and these are just considerations that, you know, some evidence has shown and then personal experience has definitely had a play in today's episode as well. So if you did enjoy this little segment, please do take a screenshot, um, share it on your Instagram story. And then of course, tag the level up podcast. Thanks everyone.